Welcome to the Curiously Wise Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Wittig. This podcast is all about honoring, sharing, and celebrating the natural and experiential wisdom of my guests through curiosity-provoking conversations, shared stories, and tips we've all gathered along this journey. And from time to time, I'll be sharing my own stories and my own wisdom in solo episodes. Oh, and we'll be laughing. A lot. I invite you to join in the fun as we uncover the unique wisdom we each carry within us. Ready? Let's get curious. Hi, friends, and welcome to Curiously Wise. I'm your host, Lauren Wittig, and I have a wonderful guest here today, my son, who I'm very proud of, and his name is Alex Wittig, and he has taught me a lot over the years, but recently I've gotten really interested in this concept of game theory, and so I've invited him to come and talk to us about that because he's been doing game theory for, what, decades? Yeah, yeah, it's a little (laughs) over two decades now. So tell people a little bit about you and how you came into gaming. My father was always into tech and we built computers relatively early in my life and got me kind of into gaming that way. We were, you know, early adopters of like the PlayStation systems Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I've always had games in my life like that. I'm very into card games at the moment. I consider myself to be a semi-pro magic player. Not quite enough to make a living off of it, but not quite enough to say I'm I'm losing all the money I'm putting into it. So semi-pro. I've been playing video games pretty much my entire life at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's how me and most of my friends hang out and spend time with each other, as well as being probably about three or four years into being a dungeon master or game master for a D&D campaign, which I played for three or four years before I took over that role. Yeah. So very, very involved in gaming. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got the first PlayStation for you guys when you were six. Yeah. Because it's when we were moving here. Yeah. And that was our way to kind of help with the move (laughs) (laughs) and i'm not much of a a video game player we used to play what uh, crash team racer Mm -hmm. and and a few things like that but i love board games i still love games and we play a lot of games as a family as well but today we're going to talk about game theory because i've noticed that this is a phrase that's coming up quite a bit and it's coming up in places i wouldn't expect it Mm -hmm. So it's really becoming a cultural way of looking at things and how a lot of businesses I'm finding are are using game theory. So I brought in my personal expert. (laughs) Can you just tell us a little bit about what what it means to say game theory? Because not everybody's familiar with the term. Sure. So game theory is very much about the strategies and the ways of thinking about playing a specific game. A lot of times you'll see game theory broken up into multiple parts. You'll have like casual game theory. So like you could be playing Catan with a bunch of people that you know, and the goal is to have fun. And so the game theory in that situation is going to be about not being the most competitive, but just trying to make everyone have an enjoyable experience. Maybe the game's very close because that's what people think is fun. Maybe it's one person running away with it because people are just helping them have fun. (laughs) It really depends on what your situation is as to what the game theory actually has you doing. If you're in a very competitive space, game theory has a very different connotation. It's going to be very much about like, well, what are the best possible strategies and the best possible moves? And what are my opponents doing? in these situations and what are the best strategies against their strategies. Game theory has different meanings in different contexts. 
what I'm usually talking about when I talk about game theory is going to the more highly strategic aspects of it. Because mm -hmm. that's usually what's most applicable to like business, stock market stuff, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. That's where I find myself applying it in my life. Interesting. Is in my investments and in my business dealings. Well, why don't we start with the Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons yeah. <laughs> which has been around since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I've only played it once when I was in my 20s, and I did not get it at the mm -hmm. time. Now I, I understand the concept of it a lot better. I know that's been a part of your game yeah. Education, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. I'm about a decade into Dungeons and Dragons now. So tell us a little bit about that and the game theory. So for one thing, Dungeons and Dragons, the creators of it, their game theory has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. So when you were playing it back in your 20s, it was very focused on the math, the strategy, the very strategic aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Modern Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, which is what I generally play, is way more focused on storytelling. Mm -hmm. They take a lot of the math out of the game. They make it a lot easier to play without really understanding every aspect of what's going on. I have to. I'm the dungeon master. My job is to basically be the computer for everybody that makes all the decisions. And I personally love Dungeons & Dragons because it is a safe space to try out social interactions. It's a safe space to fail. In fact, a lot of Dungeons & Dragons is a lot about failure, both for the DM, the dungeon master who's running the game, and the players who are participating in the game. So tell us a little bit about what kind of failures do you see or have you learned most from? So probably the biggest thing I've learned is to stop planning past the second thing. <laughs> when I personally started off playing the game as a dungeon master, I would say, all right, my players are going to be attacking this dragon or this beast in the next game session we're playing. And I would say, all right, well, here are the six different ways I would personally go about that. So let's plan for those six different ways. And you'd have a tree of possible paths your players could take out from that. Your players never choose one of those six ways. They are always <laughs> going to come up with something you've never expected and throw all of your plans out the window immediately. <laughs> Whether it means, oh, they befriended the owl bear instead of fighting it. And now you're like, well, I guess there's a quest line for this owl bear now that I didn't come up with. And so you got to do it on the fly. So now I spend less than an hour preparing for any individual session. I consider myself uh, a sandbox DM, which is there's this big sandbox that I throw my players into and I watch what they're doing with all the sand and I build the game around that. So yeah, I will show up and I'll have plan A. And sometimes I'll have plan B. But if I find myself planning plan C, I stop myself because they're never going to go for plan A or B or C. <laughs> <laughs> they're always going to be down by Q or Y or Z. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend the time figuring out what all those different things are. That's just not worth my time to plan for. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when I was writing novels, I was taught that you should plot the whole novel out mm -hmm. front to back. And so I spent years... <laughs> trying to learn how to plot a whole story, only to find that I'd get three scenes in and everything would change. Mm -hmm. So I came to the same conclusion that there's no sense in me trying to figure it all out. I'll have some waypoints along the way, but two or three possibilities and move on. Yeah, you know? and, and one of the things I've found is, for one thing, growing up with an author as a mom, you become very story literate. You, you can read all the stories as they're happening, figure out what is likely to happen and what kind of twists and turns might be coming pretty easily. And that's great for my situation because 
all of my friends that are playing this game with me are also pretty story literate. And that means that they're pretty good at forming stories around their own characters. Mm -hmm. And so if you just throw them out there and let them interact with each other, they're going to build a story for you. You, you don't have to be the guide on the story. You can just be the one setting up the foundations around everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so at the moment, I have a campaign in which a character said, well, I kind of want this like eldritch god to be a mother figure in my life. Like mm -hmm. my family abandoned me and, and this eldritch god discovered me and raised me. And I'm like, all right, we've got <laughs> motivation here. I can work with that. <laughs> We've got this authority figure that I can embody in certain situations and provide guidance to players in certain spots mm -hmm. and also create some motivation in a storyline with that. And I didn't come up with any of that. Mm -hmm. That's just them handing me pieces of a story that I can then assemble. And your players only know their characters really well. They don't know the other players' characters because they only get to interact with them in the game. I know all of them. Mm -hmm. And so now I can say, all right, well, this person had a tragic thing happen in their backstory. Let's say that this person over here was indirectly responsible for it mm -hmm. with their <laughs> tragic backstory thing that they kind of gave me the bones of, but didn't fill everything in. Mm -hmm. All right, now we've got tension in the party. And any place you find tension like that, you get a good story. Yeah, that conflict is, mm -hmm. a, is what you need for stories. So it sounds then like it would be really common sense that you could work out, well, how do I want to put this? You could experiment with solutions mm -hmm. as a character. Oh, yeah. And see what works and what doesn't. Because I assume if you die you, in the game. <laughs> you roll a new character. You roll you a, make new character. a new character okay. from scratch. So then you make a new character and you can try a different way of mm -hmm. getting through whatever the scenario is at that moment. Which is lovely because our culture doesn't allow for failure very well. Oh, and one of the things this game teaches you is failure doesn't mean anyone's responsible for it. <laughs> I had a character who, th there's a concept called a wild magic table. Mm -hmm. And this character is a sorcerer. They cast spells and they wanted it to be like time-based magic. They wanted to be able to like rewind time a little bit here and there and change uh -huh. the outcome of an event. It's a very cool idea. Yeah. So I made a wild magic table with a hundred different possibilities on it. <laughs> and when they use time magic, they roll on that table and something random happens. Mm. Now, I don't like to punish my players for doing things that are fun. Mm. Rolling on a wild magic table, that's fun. That's you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> right. It's like rolling the dice at a, a craps game. Like, mm. you don't know what's happening. That's the fun part. So I put one bad thing on there. They have to roll a one on a D100 <laughs> to get it. And my player, the first time they rolled... Roll the one, <laughs> which then caused two other players in the party to cease to exist because their parents never met. Oh, no. <laughs> they had to make new characters. Uh-huh. And I said, look, if this happens, I'm not going to stop it from happening. I'm not going to say, oh, this isn't fun. Uh -huh. No, this is part of the fun. It's, uh -huh. uh, okay, your character's gone now. <laughs> it's like jumping a timeline. Yeah, exactly. In the metaverse, kind of mm -hmm. being in a different path on it Exa interesting and my players were super cool about it they're like no this is great we love this this is a great story and they made new characters and no one was directly responsible for any of the negative mm -hmm. things that happened there there was a aspect of failure in that your characters are no longer playable mm -hmm. and no one was responsible for it no one was even upset 
Yeah. Yeah. The, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out who's to blame for things. Exactly. And yeah. a lot of times there's just no one. Yeah. True. So that's lovely. So that's another way that this kind of game really can mm -hmm. help you work through things that, that we don't get a lot of opportunity to work through in real time, mm -hmm. real life. Uh, and one of my players has a history with anger management issues. Mm. And since he started playing D&D, &D, has resolved a lot of those issues. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he was one of the characters that lost his character in that situation. Mm -hmm. And he left. And then he messaged me privately with a new sheet he'd already prepared because he was pretty sure his character was going <laughs> to die at some point in time. And I was like, this is amazing that yeah. this guy who spent, I think he just got his like 10-year chip in anger management or something. Yeah. I was like, damn, that is impressive. That's that's really nice to have some real life validation for what the theory is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because I know one of my other guests was talking about games as mm -hmm. a, a therapeutic tool. Oh, yeah. And just for exactly this reason. And I think that's really <clears throat> part of why I'm so fascinated with mm -hmm. this. Because I, you know me, I love everything healing. <laughs> so in your recent years, or maybe not so recent years, I don't really know when you got into magic. But magic, I know, has been around a long time. Yeah, it was originally published in 92, the year I was born. Wow. <laughs> so it's, the game yeah. is almost 30 years old now. Okay. Yeah, and I know it also has gone through iterations and refinements and changes. And so I know that you're fascinated with it, and I've known that about you for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I don't really understand the fascination. I don't understand the game enough to know why it's so fascinating. So bring the game theory theme into that too, if you would. Yeah. So it probably helps to have a little bit of foundation for the game if you're not familiar with it. I find most people are familiar with poker. Poker is where everyone's playing with the same deck of cards and your hand might be better than your opponent's hand, depending on the type of poker you're playing. Sometimes there's shared resources. Sometimes there's not. It depends on the game of poker mm -hmm. exactly you're playing. Magic is a lot like poker, except you get to build the deck of cards you're playing with and your opponent gets to build their deck of cards. Now, Magic the Gathering, after 30 years, has 64,000 unique cards in it, and they come out with four sets a year that have two to 300 cards in them that are sometimes unique, sometimes reprints of earlier versions of cards. So you're probably adding about 500 cards a year that are brand new to the game. So obviously some cards are better than others, so you're probably talking more about two to 3,000 cards that you have to be keeping track of in any given format of Magic. <laughs> Just like different games of poker. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're playing Texas Hold'em. Sometimes you're playing, I don't know, poker well enough to know. But different formats allow for different cards. Usually there's like, this format goes all the way back to 1992. This format goes back to 2010. Okay. So they'll have cutoffs like that based upon when cards are printed. But you have to both be able to determine what your opponent's plan is and what your plan is against them. So there's an aspect of deck design to build a deck that can respond to other people's decks and their strategies, and also understanding how your deck best responds to those things. Hmm. And then, of course, you're shuffling the deck, so there's an aspect of randomization. Oh, yeah, okay. So you don't <laughs> always get to see the pieces you need to stop your opponent's plan. Hmm. And so the aspect of game theory that I probably get the most out of in Magic is what we call knowing your outs which is to say, in this situation, is there any card I can draw that would win me the game or save me from the situation that I'm in? Because sometimes you're up against a deck and you can see that they're going to win the game in five turns. Hmm. And so now you know I'm going to get to draw five cards. Is there even a card in my deck that I put in there that can get me out of this situation? 
And if not, let's just call it here and move on to the next game because you've mm. locked up the game. Okay. So very frequently, especially in competitive magic, you're on a time constraint. You're playing best of three, so you have to win two out of the three games. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your best option is to just move on to the next game. Okay. And Cut your losses and go. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So knowing your outs is all about knowing what the best case scenario for you is. Mm -hmm. Knowing how likely that is. Saying, oh, I've got four of these cards in my deck, but I've seen three of them already. Mm -hmm. And it's the only card that can... And, and there's 45 cards left in my deck, so I've got a 1 in 45 chance of drawing this card that's going to save me mm -hmm. here. that point, just move on. Yeah. The odds are so stacked against you that you should just start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And knowing that will save you so much time. The number of times I have won games because I got to turn 3 and it's like, I'm not winning this game, let's move on to the mm -hmm. next game. And gotten to change my deck around a little bit to make it better for this particular match. And then won the match because... I moved on. It's uncountable at this point in time. That's that's an interesting lesson to bring mm -hmm. into day-to-day -day life. Because sometimes it is. Sometimes you do need to just go, I'm banging my head against the wall and nothing is happening. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to change. And I've done, I think in relationships, you know your grandmother, that was a lesson I really had to learn with her is that nothing was going to change. Mm -hmm. And so I could make myself miserable and, and drag things out, or I could decide there was something better for me to be doing mm -hmm. than what I was doing. And it wasn't like I could just stop playing and go play another game, mm -hmm. but it did change how I felt about my time with her. Yeah. I love how we can take these things and just really apply them to life. As a real life example of that, I was doing my taxes this year <laughs> and I was trying to get as big a deduction as I could. And I realized that I was looking at spending four to six hours just mm -hmm. doing math to figure out how much. And I just, I was like, I'm not going to get as large a deduction, but I'm going to save myself some hours and just do the standard deduction. Yeah. And it was, you know, that kind of moment of like, is this worth my time? Mm -hmm. Is getting a few hundred dollars more back from the government really worth that? Yeah. And I decided for myself it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So my taxes took like an hour and a half this year. Instead of the like six and a half or seven hours it was going to take me. Mm -hmm. And I was going to lose my entire weekend, basically. That yeah. wasn't worth it. Yeah. And it's it's good to be able to stop and go, okay, mm -hmm. you know, pros and cons, time to cut, yeah. <laughs> cut to the chase here. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I find I do a lot too, especially around time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I can spend a lot of time doing this or I can do something different that maybe won't be quite as interesting or quite mm -hmm. as automated. I'm doing a lot of automating systems now. And so maybe I can just do it, simplify it and move on. Mm -hmm. And then my time is better spent doing things like this. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to look at it or way to bring it into mm. the world. So there's this other piece of video games that you and I have talked about recently mm -hmm. that I find I, I did not understand at all until you explained it to mm -hmm. me. And that is there are people who do what's called speed running or speed runners of yeah. video games. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you have to define what a speed runner is. It's another competitive form of gameplay. These people are trying to take a game say, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which is an old game. Mm -hmm. Very old, lots of polygons, very angular, not great <laughs> graphics. And they're trying to beat the game as quickly as they can. Record the score, post it online so everyone can see the, the video of them beating this game in 25 minutes or, or an hour and a half or whatever mm -hmm. it ends up being for that game. And then 
a lot like swimmers at the Olympics. You'll see, oh, wow, like Michael Phelps cut like 13 seconds off that time. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous for swimming, but it's realistic (laughs) for speed running. I mean, you will see people literally cutting partial seconds off a game to be the world (laughs) record holder for the speed run of that game. Wow. And so one of the things you learn when you're watching speed runners play these games is there are rules to play these games by, and you do not have to follow them. One of the best examples is in Zelda Ocarina of Time. You go into one of the starting areas, and there's a place where you can clip through a wall and end up in the final boss fight. And if you are skilled enough with the stick and the shield you have instead of like the sword and all of the armor and things that you would normally have by the end of the game, you can still beat the final boss. Mm. And you cut... 99% of the game out of the game to do that. Right. But it feels like cheating to... It does feel like cheating. But if the way you define beating the game is defeating the final boss, then that's how you beat the game. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all of these games, they have 30, 40, 50 different ways of classifying a speed run that all have their own records. Oh, So you have 100% completionist speedruns where Mm -hmm. people do every mainline quest thing in a game to beat it. You have glitchless where you are trying to do things without glitching the game in any way, but you don't have to complete every aspect. So if there's something that you could skip without using a glitch, then you can skip it. It's like a room in the house you don't have to go in and search or something like that. You don't have to do that. And then you have the original one I explained, which is a glitched speedrun, which Mm -hmm. is here is an aspect of the game I can exploit to skip a large portion of the game and get to the last thing that we need to see to see the credits roll. Okay. And that was the original kind of speedrun. There's there's all sorts of speedrunners that do these kinds of things. And you'll see them sit there and take apart the code of the game mm. and like see, all right, technically in the game environment, all of these levels are stacked up on top of each other like a pancake. Mm-hmm. And so if I can find a way to fall through the floor of this map, I can fall into a different map. Okay. And if they can figure out how to do that reliably, suddenly you have a new strategy mm-hmm. in that speed run. Okay. Speed running is all about breaking the rules of the game to play it more <laughs> efficiently. Yeah, I'm always fascinated how people find ways to be mm-hmm. competitive with, I mean, with, with themselves or with others. But in this case, it's really about defining what winning the game is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's about figuring out what your goal is. So, for instance, the person who found the glitch and went straight to the end boss battle, that feels like cheating to me because to me, a game you play by the rules uh, mm-hmm. that are laid out in the game. But speedrunning is more about redefining the rules. Yeah, you define the goal, you define the rules by which you can achieve that goal, mm-hmm. and then everyone is competing on that same field to get the fastest time to complete that task. Okay. How would you bring that into real life? What is the game theory part of that that we can apply? So no one starts off speedrunning a game. Mm-hmm. Everyone plays the game the way it's intended the first time because it's the most obvious way to play it. Right. You're going to pick up the sword and fight all the guys. <laughs> Speedrunners are going to run backwards past all the monsters because they figured out that jumping backwards is faster than walking normally <laughs> in the game. They're going to do whatever it takes to cut off time. Mm-hmm. The takeaway I get from speedrunning is... Once you've done something once or twice and you've learned the rules about how to do it, you don't necessarily need to follow them every time. Mm. Okay. It's it's not necessary to follow every outline of every, unless you're like working for the government or <laughs> something like that, where it is literally required. Mm-hmm. 
if I'm making a salad, I don't follow a recipe every time. Mm -hmm. I know what I want in it. I'm going to get that all out. I'm going to put it in the salad. I'll mix it up and throw a dressing on it and eat the salad. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit there and read through every line and be like, oh, I'm supposed to put the lettuce in. <laughs> like, we don't yeah. live life like that. Right, right. And it's important to remember that you don't have to do every aspect of your life like that. Mm -hmm. Just because you've always done something some way doesn't mean it's the most efficient or even the right way to do it. Yeah. I like to think of speedrunners as making a new game out of an old piece of software. Mm. It's like taking a Scrabble board and using it as a battleship board mm -hmm. and playing Scrabble ship or something it's getting like that. creative. Yeah. And so you are taking a game that you have played hundreds of hours on and you love and you love all the mechanics and the way the game works, but you've played the game. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got to come up with a new challenge for yourself that the game didn't have built into it already. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out how to beat this game in two hours or 30 minutes or something like that. And that's the kind of thing I love about speedrunners is you're not watching the game that they bought to play. You're watching the game they've made out of what they already had available to them. I see so many uses for that idea in, in life. It is creating creativity. Mm -hmm. I always said that when you guys were kids and, and when I was a kid, being bored is useful. It's good because mm -hmm. it forces you to go, well, I can sit here and be bored or let me figure out something that will entertain me. And so that's, it feels like, you know, I'm bored with this game, but I love this game. Mm -hmm. so what else could I do? With what else it? could I do with it? But we get into habits, especially, I know, in my 60s. Mm -hmm. And so I have lifelong habits that don't really serve me, but they're comfortable. I don't have to think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, and that's salad. And one of the things that I know I'm doing right now is I'm challenging myself to do some physical things that I never thought I would even think about doing. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm challenging those habits. I'm challenging the way my life usually goes, the kinds of trips I usually would want to take, yeah. and pushing the boundaries a little bit, trying to see if I can stretch myself a bit. Yeah. So it's kind of like this where you're stretching the way you look at the, at the game, yeah. how you can move through it to, to find something new about it. Oh, and I, I see this outside of games as well. Like, I love rock climbing documentaries. They're a lot of fun to just <laughs> throw on and kind of have on in the background. And a lot of the historical rock climbing documentaries will be like, oh, well, they started off with 500 pounds of rock climbing equipment and they were using mechanical winches to climb up the walls of Yosemite and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And the next generation came in and looked at it and went, I can do it with 60 pounds of gear. I don't need 500 pounds of mm -hmm. gear. And I don't need all of the mechanical assistance to do it. I can just work on myself until I'm capable of doing that mm -hmm. and climb it that way. And the next generation came in and said, I need like two ropes and some carabiners <laughs> and, and I can climb that wall the same as they did, but mm -hmm. with less weight and less effort. Mm -hmm. And the next generation, there's a famous rock climber named Alex, ironically, who just free climbs. He doesn't yeah. have ropes. No. He just climbs. Yeah. Just his, yeah. himself. Insanity. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's very good at it. And he's doing what speedrunners were mm -hmm. doing. They're seeing the game. They saw the way it was played. And they said, I don't need to play by those rules. Yeah. I can do different rules. I can find a different way to do the same task. Yeah. Do it more efficiently. And just be better at this than I could if I was following the rules that were taught yeah. to me when I was first here. 
Yeah, and you know, that reminds me that we are really in a time of a lot of change culturally. Mm -hmm. uh, we need change culturally. Yeah. And it's a really good way of looking at the status quo mm -hmm. and asking this question, do I need to do it the way it's been done for the last mm -mm, yeah. two or years and plus? Really um, the best way to do it? Yeah. How could we do it better? Yeah. How could we do it with more ease? And how could we do it with more justice? I mean, there's all and kinds of things you could throw in there. Do these rules even have the same objectives as we do? Yeah, that's yeah. probably the, the best one to start with, because I know my objective for the world is very different mm -hmm. from the way most of the culture is going these days. Almost all of game theory can be boiled down to define your objective and figure out the best way to achieve it. And that really is, if you're going to play a game well or competitively, or at a professional level, you need to understand your objective. You need to understand anyone you're playing against objective mm -hmm. and how best to formulate your strategy to both prevent them from winning while winning yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a really complex skill to develop. And I really don't know how you develop it outside of any kind of board game or card game or video game, mm -hmm. because they're just so good at forcing you into making those kind of decisions. Yeah. And quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you can really, try a lot of different things fast. <laughs> yeah. And don't don't play one game. Because mm -hmm. if I'm sitting here playing Monopoly, I'm going to be very good at Monopoly. <laughs> but I'm not going to be good at any of the other games that have different strategies yeah. that are applied to them. You really need a very flexible kind of toolbox of strategies you can pull on to yeah. be good at any one game that you're going to be playing maybe for the first time. There's a new genre, I would say, maybe not genre, but type of game that is getting really popular. And that is the, instead of the competitive game, it's a cooperative game. Mm -hmm. I love I personally love those. I haven't played many of them. I've played Quest, which mm -hmm. is a card game, yeah. which I really, really enjoy. And I, I know there's other the ones. Crew. The Crew. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Crew. I really like that one because you get a quest, you have cards. You don't get to see all the cards in the deck, so you know mm -hmm. what whether it's kind of like you were talking about with magic, where you don't know exactly how the best way to play the cards is, but the the team has a quest. Yeah. And so you have to also work with the others without knowing exactly what they have. And everyone only wins if everyone completes their task. Yeah. And yeah. And sometimes you go, okay, that's it. We can't yeah. win this. Let's try it again. You exactly. Know? And that's knowing you're out. I would... Personally, I would love to hear from you all in the comments, whether well, reviews, wherever you can put a comment. You know, what, what are your favorite games, especially? And I'm really excited about the idea of cooperative games. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really what I want to know, which ones are coming out. Because I hear about them from my kids and my nephew and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So there, there is the original cooperative board game, which trigger warning, I guess. It's called Pandemic. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Like, I'm not playing that now. <laughs> it's a great game. I have not played it since the pandemic happened. Okay. For obvious reasons. Yeah. yeah. Just don't want that. No. <laughs> but it is, each individual is in charge of some version of research or public policy or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. To try to manage the pandemic, which is the game itself. Mm -hmm. And you have different types of viruses and diseases that you can play each game with. And that determines the difficulty of it. Because some spread easier, some are more deadly. Mm -hmm. you got to keep track of all of that stuff. Game is played over five rounds. Okay. It takes about 45 minutes to play it. Hmm. 
and I have never succeeded at beating that game. Okay. And it's because everyone has different ideas of what their objectives are, and it's really difficult to get everyone to agree that, all right, right now Alex's objective is the one we need to get mm -hmm. to stop this aspect of it. And then we can focus on Connor's objective over here. Sounds really familiar, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone is, is incentivized to work on their own thing, but you need everyone else's resources in order to mm -hmm. achieve any mm -hmm. one thing. And if you're drinking heavily and playing this game, it's really hard to coordinate everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll leave the drinking heavily part out. That's, yeah, yeah. That's my groovy mirror. <laughs> I think that's really a lovely kind of mm -hmm. primer here for the what is game theory and the different kinds yeah. of ways that, that you can use the theory, the different ways it's being applied, both in the game and, and in life. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for that. Okay, so we're going to move to the rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> my first question is, who is or was the wisest person in your life? That would have to be Professor Lisa Bauman at George Mason. I have an anthropology degree, an art history degree, and I almost got a religious studies minor. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, art history is a minor as well. But it was just a credit I was taking to get my anthropology degree. And not only did she convince me I should be studying art history more in depth, she also is the reason I ended up going to Spain for a study abroad mm. with William and Mary. And she was basically my second mother for a long mm -hmm. period of time while I was at college and guided a lot of my college career and formulated a lot of the way I look at the world and understand the world, which involves a lot of art and a lot of understanding the language of art, which I never had before. I do a lot of things these days where I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's an homage to the Mona Lisa. And mm -hmm. my fiance stage is like, that doesn't even have a woman. In it. I'm like, well, no, it's more about the background here. The the landscape is is the homage. <laughs> and it's just a lot of that kind of stuff where yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I see where this person was influenced by the rest of the culture around them. It's an interesting adjunct to mm -hmm. the cultural anthropology. Oh, yeah. It's definitely... The symbology of culture, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's, you know, just an old hippie who's... Uh, yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I got to meet her a couple of times. What's your favorite go-to self-care practice? Honestly, it's playing card games. At the end of my workday, which can be very stressful and is looking at a lot of spreadsheets and, and things like that, I take an hour or two and just go play card games on my computer. And then I generally go to a card shop nearby and hang out with a bunch of guys and play cards most Fridays. Yeah, and okay. that's that's how I spend my time. It's my social time by myself because I'm an introvert and I need my social time by myself. <laughs> yes, this is a household of introverts for sure. <laughs> and it, it gives you a nice balance between the very analytical mm -hmm. thing that you're doing and this sort of creative play. What lights you up when you're feeling down? My fiance more than anything else. Good. Yeah. And do you have a favorite mantra or affirmation? It's probably not the best phrasing of it, but it could be worse. It's, it's always, it could be worse. <laughs> it's so easy to think of ways that this could be worse. And that makes me happy about the current situation. Okay, yeah, it puts it in perspective, doesn't it's, it? It's like reverse silver lining, where it's mm -hmm. like, oh man, this could have been way worse. Mm -hmm. This is excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's how we got through your babyhood. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I have food allergies, so I've experienced a lot of 
anytime like my fiance is like the food wasn't that great i'm like yeah but i'm not headed to the hospital so <laughs> this, is, this is great <laughs> this, is the, this is the best optimist in our household <laughs> can you tell people where they can find you online if they want to ask you questions sure i have a uh, twitter that is mostly magic focused it's at azinta4 it's a-z-i-n-t-a-4 i'm kind of surprised there was three other Azentas, but that's, <laughs> if you see that name online in any video games, it's probably me because I'm the only person who's ever had that as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Good. Just off the cuff here, can you tell people if they wanted to watch the speedrunners? Because I know you watch them. How oh, yeah. Twitch is probably best if you're watching a live speedrunner. I'd say find a game you know. I started off watching a lot of Spyro speedruns because <laughs> we played a lot of Spyro in this house. And then if you just type into Google or YouTube, the game name and then speed run, it, it will come up almost okay. immediately. Okay, cool. And yeah, again, it's better to know the game before you watch the speed run because you're going to be very lost with a speedrunner playing the game because they're not playing the game you think they're playing. Mm -hmm. They're playing a completely new game. You can also watch just regular people playing games. Right? Oh yeah, Twitch yeah. is great for that. YouTube is uh, getting a lot more people. I, I watch a lot of uh, Saikuno and Ray and Disguised Toast. Those those are Disguised like, toast. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all West Coast streamers that play a lot of variety games and team games okay. and things like that. And yeah, I, I love watching them. Okay. We, we spend a lot of time in my house watching. <laughs> yeah, you and Astasia like to watch the, the murder mystery like with the so there's a game called the original game, which was more of a party game, and in person was called Mafia. And you have two Mafia members that were assigned, mm -hmm. and then everyone would have to figure out who the Mafia was, mm -hmm. and the Mafia would try to eliminate players over the game. Right. So Among Us is kind of the new version of that. There's also uh, Secret Werewolf, which is a card game version of it, which is a lot of fun that you can play with like four or five people. There's also yeah, there's a game that's a lot of fun. It's called Secret Hitler. And oh. it's about stopping fascism. Oh, okay. And all right. the whole concept comes from like, oh, Hitler was elected and no one really knew he was going to do all this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, well, we got to figure out who's the Hitler in this game and keep them from getting elected. Uh, okay. And that's, it's, it's very political and fun. Yeah, and that, you're into and that. So you can see there's a lot of ways to play games or even just to observe them. Mm -hmm. the, I thought of the Mafia one because you guys have watched it here. So I was oh, yeah. down and watched it with you. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's very interesting to watch how the group has to work together mm -hmm. to figure things out. I'll be like, oh, I, I saw him over there where the dead body was. Yeah. So we maybe it's him, but I also saw them over there right. in that area. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. All right. Well, this has been fabulous. Thank you for taking some time out today to be here and help me with the tech because mm -hmm. this is the first time I've done a in-person, not over Zoom. Mm -hmm. So I have my trusty tech helper here. And I just want to thank everybody for being here today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I hope maybe you found some ways where you can apply game theory in your own life or you already are and you can look at it in a slightly different way. If you've listened to me much at all, you know that I'm big into perspective and in in anything that helps us get perspective on, on our lives and situations. So I hope to see you next time. We're here every Tuesday on Curiously Wise. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future fabulous conversations. And if you had any ahas, Please share them in a review so we can continue to pay forward the unique wisdom we all have. If you want to know more about me or my intuitive energy healing practice, please head over to my website, www.heartlightjoy.com.
Curiously Wise is a team effort. I am grateful for the skill and enthusiasm Arlene Membrot, our producer, and Sam Whitting, our audio engineer, bring to this collaboration. Our music is Where the Light Is by Lemon Music Studio. We'll be taking next week off for the 4th of July holiday. Please join us on July 12th for a music-infused episode with sound healer Lisa Miller. As always, may your life be filled with love, light, joy, and of course, curiosity.